You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, Chapters 5 and 6. I'll take you back just a little bit and get you caught up. While having dinner with Dr. Shepard, Roger Ackroyd tells Shepard that he had been engaged to Mrs. Ferrars for three months. The day before her death, she confessed to him that she had poisoned her husband, Ashley Ferrars, was being blackmailed, and would reveal the name of the blackmailer in 24 hours' time. At that point, Parker delivers a blue envelope with Mrs. Farrar's handwriting, and Roger reads aloud to Dr. Shepard her suicide note. But Roger abruptly stops reading aloud before Mrs. Farrar's reveals the name of the blackmailer. Dr. Shepard records in his manuscript, which he started after the murder, that Roger asked to be left alone to absorb the contents of the letter. Dr. Shepard returns home by 9.15. One hour later, he receives a phone call and rushes back to Fernley Park, telling Caroline that Parker has informed him that Roger has been murdered. And now Chapter 5 of The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie I got out the car next to no time and drove rapidly to Fernley. Jumping out, I pulled the bell impatiently. There was some delay in answering, and I rang again. Then I heard the rattle of the chain and Parker, his impassivity of countenance quite unmoved, stood in the open doorway. I pushed past him into the hall. "'Where is he?' I demanded sharply. "'I beg your pardon, sir. "'Your master, Mr. Ackroyd. "'Don't stand there staring at me, man. "'Have you notified the police?' "'The police, sir? "'Did you say the police?' Parker stared at me as though I were a ghost. "'What's the matter with you, Parker? "'If, as you say, your master has been murdered.' A gasp broke from Parker. The master? Murdered? Impossible, sir. It was my turn to stare. Didn't you telephone to me, not five minutes ago, and tell me that Mr. Ackroyd had been found murdered? Me, sir? Oh, no, indeed. No, no, sir. I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. Do you mean to say it's all a hoax? That there's nothing the matter with Mr. Ackroyd? Excuse me, sir. Did the person telephoning use my name? I'll give you the exact words I heard. Is that Dr. Shepard? Parker, the butler at Fernley, speaking. Will you please come at once, sir? Mr. Ackroyd has been murdered. Parker and I stared at each other blankly. A very wicked joke to play, sir, he said at last, in a shocked tone. Fancy saying a thing like that. 
"'Where is Mr. Aykroyd?' I asked suddenly. "'Still in the study, I fancy. The ladies have gone to bed, and Major Blunt and Mr. Raymond are in the billiard-room. I think I'll just look in and see him for a minute,' I said. "'I know he didn't want to be disturbed again, but this odd practical joke has made me uneasy. I'd just like to satisfy myself that he's all right.' "'Quite so, sir. It makes me feel quite uneasy myself. If you don't object to my accompanying you as far as the door, sir.' "'Not at all,' I said. "'Come along.' I passed through the door on the right. Parker, on my heels, traversed a little lobby where a small flight of stairs led upstairs to Aykroyd's bedroom, and tapped on the study door. There was no answer. I turned the handle, but the door was locked. "'Allow me, sir,' said Parker. Very nimbly, for a man of his build, he dropped on one knee and applied his eye to the keyhole. "'The key's in the lock all right, sir.' "'he said, rising. "'On the inside. "'Mr. Aykroyd must have locked himself in "'and possibly just dropped off to sleep.' "'I bent down and verified Parker's statement. "'It seems all right,' I said. "'But all the same, Parker, "'I'm going to wake your master up. "'I shouldn't be satisfied to go home "'without hearing from his own lips "'that he's quite all right. "'So, Zane, I rattled the handle and called out. "'Aykroyd! Aykroyd! "'Just a minute!' "'but still there was no answer. "'I glanced over my shoulder. "'I don't want to alarm the household,' "'I said hesitatingly. "'Parker went across and shut the door "'from the big hall through which we had come. "'I think that will be all right now, sir. "'The billiard room is at the other side of the house, "'and so are the kitchen quarters "'and the ladies' bedrooms.' "'I nodded comprehendingly. "'Then I banged once more frantically on the door, "'and stooping down, fairly bawled through the keyhole.' "'Ackroyd! Ackroyd! It's Shepard! Let me in!' And still, silence. Not a sign of light from within the locked room. Parker and I glanced at each other. "'Look here, Parker,' I said. "'I'm going to break this door in. Or rather, we are. I'll take the responsibility.' "'If you say so, sir,' said Parker, rather doubtfully. "'I do say so. I'm seriously alarmed about Mr. Ackroyd.' I looked round the small lobby and picked up a heavy oak chair. Parker and I held it between us and advanced to the assault. Once, twice, and three times we hurled it against the lock. At the third blow it gave, and we staggered into the room. Ackroyd was sitting as I had left him in the armchair before the fire. His head had fallen sideways, and clearly visible, just below the collar of his coat, was a shining piece of twisted metalwork. Parker and I advanced until we stood over the recumbent figure. I heard the butler draw in his breath with a sharp hiss. "'Stab from behind,' he murmured. "'Horrible!' He wiped his moist brow with his handkerchief, then stretched out a hand gingerly towards the hilt of the dagger. "'Don't touch that,' I said sharply. "'Go at once to the telephone and ring up the police station. Inform them of what has happened. Then tell Mr. Raymond and Major Blunt.' "'Very good, sir.' Parker hurried away, still wiping his perspiring brow. I did what little had to be done. I was careful not to disturb the position of the body, and not to handle the dagger at all. No object was to be attained by moving it. Ackroyd had clearly been dead some little time. Then I heard young Raymond's voice, horror-stricken and incredulous, outside. "'What do you say? Oh, impossible! Where's the doctor?' He appeared impetuously in the doorway, then stopped dead, his face very white, 
A hand put him aside, and Hector Blunt came past him into the room. "'My God!' said Raymond from behind him. "'It's true, then.' Blunt came straight on till he reached the chair. He bent over the body, and I thought that, like Parker, he was going to lay hold of the dagger hilt. I drew him back with one hand. "'Nothing must be moved,' I explained. "'The police must see him exactly as he is now.' Blunt nodded in instant comprehension. His face was expressionless as ever, but I thought I detected signs of emotion beneath the stolid mask. Geoffrey Raymond had joined us now, and stood peering over Blunt's shoulder at the body. "'This is terrible,' he said, in a low voice. He had regained his composure, but as he took off the pince-nez he habitually wore and polished them, I observed that his hand was shaking. "'Robbery, I suppose,' he said. "'How did the fellow get in? Through the window?' "'Has anything been taken?' "'He went towards the desk. "'You think it's burglary?' "'I said slowly. "'What else could it be? "'There's no question of suicide, I suppose.' "'No man could stab himself in such a way,' "'I said confidently. "'It's murder right enough. "'But with what motive?' "'Roger hadn't an enemy in the world,' "'said Blunt quietly. "'Must have been burglars. "'But what was the thief after? "'Nothing seems to be disarranged.' He looked round the room. Raymond was still sorting the papers on the desk. "'There seems nothing missing, and none of the drawers show signs of having been tampered with,' the secretary observed at last. "'It's very mysterious.' Blunt made a slight motion with his head. "'There are some letters on the floor here,' he said. I looked down. Three or four letters still lay where Ackroyd had dropped them earlier in the evening, but the blue envelope containing Mrs. Farrar's letter had disappeared.' I half opened my mouth to speak, but at that moment the sound of a bell pealed to the house. There was a confused murmur of voices in the hall, and then Parker appeared with our local inspector and a police constable. "'Good evening, gentlemen,' said the inspector. "'I'm terribly sorry for this. A good, kind gentleman like Mr. Ackroyd. The butler says it's murder. No possibility of accident or suicide, doctor?' "'No, none whatever,' I said. "'Ah, a bad business.' He came and stood over the body. "'Been moved at all?' he asked sharply. "'Beyond making certain that life was extinct, an easy matter, I have not disturbed the body in any way.' "'Ah! And everything points to the murderer having got clear away, for the moment, that is. Now then, let me hear all about it. Who found the body?' I explained the circumstances carefully. "'A telephone message, you say, from the butler? A message that I never sent.' "'declared Parker earnestly. "'I've not been near the telephone the whole evening. "'The others can bear me out that I haven't. "'Very odd, that. "'Did it sound like Parker's voice, doctor? "'Well, I can't say I noticed. "'I took it for granted, you see. "'Naturally. "'Well, you got up here, broke in the door, "'and found poor Mr. Ackroyd like this. "'How long would you say he's been dead, doctor? "'I would say half an hour at least. "'Perhaps longer.' "'The door was locked on the inside, you say? "'What about the window?' "'I myself closed and bolted it earlier in the evening "'at Mr. Ackroyd's request.' "'The inspector strode across to it "'and threw back the curtains. "'Well, it's open now, anyway,' he remarked. "'True enough, the window was open, "'the lower sash being raised to its fullest extent. "'The inspector produced a pocket torch "'and flashed it along the sill outside. "'This is the way he went out, all right,' he remarked. "'And got in. See here.' "'In the light of the powerful torch, 
several clearly defined footmarks could be seen. They seemed to be those of shoes with rubber studs in the soles. One particularly clear one pointed inwards, another, slightly overlapping it, pointed outwards. "'Plain as a pikestaff,' said the inspector. "'Any valuables missing?' Geoffrey Raymond shook his head. "'Not so that we can discover.' "'Mr. Ackroyd never kept anything of particular value in this room.' "Hm," said the inspector. "'Man found an open window, climbed in, saw Mr. Ackroyd sitting there. Maybe he'd fallen asleep. Man stabbed him from behind, then lost his nerve and made off. But he's left his tracks pretty clearly. We ought to get hold of him without much difficulty. No suspicious stranger's been hanging about anywhere.' "'Oh,' I said suddenly. "'What is it, doctor?' "'I met a man this evening, just as I was turning out of the gate. "'He asked me the way to Fernley Park. "'What time would that be?' "'Just nine o'clock. "'I heard it chime the hour as I was turning out of the gate. "'Can you describe him?' "'I did so to the best of my ability. "'The inspector turned to the butler. "'Anyone answering that description come to the front door?' "'No, sir. "'No one's been to the house at all this evening. "'What about the back?' "'I don't think so, sir.' "'but I'll make inquiries.' "'He moved towards the door, "'but the inspector held up a large hand. "'No, thanks. "'I'll do my own inquiring. "'But first of all, I want to fix the time a little more clearly. "'When was Mr. Ackroyd last seen alive?' "'Probably by me,' I said. "'When I left at... let me see... "'about ten minutes to nine. "'He told me that he didn't wish to be disturbed, "'and I repeated the order to Parker. "'Just so, sir.' "'said Parker respectfully. "'Mr. Ackroyd was certainly alive at half-past nine, "'put in Raymond, "'for I heard his voice in here talking. "'Who was he talking to?' "'That I don't know. "'Of course, at the time I took it for granted "'that it was Dr. Shepherd who was with him. "'I wanted to ask him a question about some papers "'I was engaged upon, "'but when I heard the voices, "'I remembered that he had said he wanted to talk to Dr. Shepherd "'without being disturbed, "'and I went away again. "'But now it seems that the doctor had already left.' I nodded. "'I was at home by quarter past nine, I said. "'I didn't go out again until I received the telephone call. Well, "'Who could have been with him at half-past nine? queried the inspector. "'It wasn't you, Mr. Uh, Major Blunt,' I said. "'Major Hector Blunt?' asked the inspector, a respectful tone creeping into his voice. Blunt merely jerked his head affirmatively. "'I think we've seen you down here before, sir,' said the inspector. "'I didn't recognize you for the moment, "'but you were staying with Mr. Ackroyd a year ago last May.' "'June,' corrected Blunt. "'Just so. June it was. "'Now, as I was saying, "'it wasn't you with Mr. Ackroyd at 9.30 this evening?' "'Blunt shook his head. "'Never saw him after dinner,' he volunteered. "'The inspector turned once more to Raymond. "'You didn't overhear any of the conversation going on, did you, sir?' "'I did catch just a fragment of it.' "'said the secretary. "'And supposing as I did "'that it was Dr. Shepherd "'who was with Mr. Ackroyd, "'that fragment struck me "'as distinctly odd. "'As far as I can remember, "'the exact words were these. "'Mr. Ackroyd was speaking. "'The calls on my purse "'have been so frequent of late. "'That's what he was saying. "'Of late. "'That I fear that it is impossible "'for me to accede to your request. "'I went away again at once, of course, "'so did not hear any more. "'But I rather wondered.' "'because Dr. Shepherd does not ask for loans for himself "'or subscriptions for others. "'A demand for money,' 
said the inspector musingly. "'It may be that here we have a very important clue.' He turned to the butler. "'You say, Barker, that nobody was admitted by the front door this evening.' "'That is what I say, sir.' "'That it seems almost certain that Mr. Ackroyd himself must have admitted this stranger. "'But I don't quite see.' The inspector went into a kind of daydream for some minutes. "'One thing is clear,' he said at length, rousing himself from his absorption. "'Mr. Ackroyd was alive and well at nine-thirty. "'That is the last moment at which he is known to have been alive.' "'Parker gave it to an apologetic cough, "'which brought the inspector's eyes on him at once. "'Well?' he said sharply. "'If you'll excuse me, sir, "'Miss Flora saw him after that.' "'Miss Flora?' "'Yes, sir. "'About a quarter to ten, that would be. "'It was after that she told me "'that Mr. Ackroyd wasn't to be disturbed again tonight. "'Did he send her to you with that message?' Mm, "'Not exactly, sir.' "'I was bringing a tray with soda and whiskey "'when Miss Flora, who was just coming out of this room, "'stopped me and said her uncle didn't want to be disturbed.' "'The inspector looked at the butler "'with rather closer attention than he had bestowed on him up to now. "'You'd already been told that Mr. Ackroyd didn't want to be disturbed, hadn't you?' "'Parker began to stammer. "'His hand shook. "'Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Quite so, sir.' "'And yet you were proposing to do so?' "'I'd forgotten, sir.' "'At least, I mean, I always bring the whiskey and soda about that time, sir, "'and ask if there's anything more, and I thought, well, I was doing as usual, without thinking.' "'It was at this moment that it began to dawn upon me "'that Parker was most suspiciously flustered. "'The man was shaking and twitching all over. "'Hm,' said the inspector. "'I must see Miss Ackroyd at once. "'For the moment we'll leave this room exactly as it is.' "'I can return here after I've heard what Miss Ackroyd has to tell me. "'I shall just take the precaution of shutting and bolting the window.' "'This precaution accomplished, he led the way into the hall, and we followed him. "'He paused a moment as he glanced up at the little staircase, "'then spoke over his shoulder to the constable. "'Jones, you better stay here. Don't let anyone go into that room.' "'Parker interposed deferentially. "'If you'll excuse me, sir,' "'If you were to lock the door into the main hall, "'nobody could gain access to this part. "'That staircase leads only to Mr. Ackroyd's bedroom and bathroom. "'There's no communication with the other part of the house. "'There once was a door through, but Mr. Ackroyd had it blocked up. "'He liked to feel that his suite was entirely private. "'To make things clear and explain the position, "'I've appended a rough sketch of the right-hand wing of the house. "'The small staircase leads, as Parker explained, "'to a big bedroom made by two being knocked into one, "'and an adjoining bathroom and lavatory. "'The inspector took in the position at a glance. "'We went through into the large hall, "'and he locked the door behind him, "'slipping the key into his pocket. "'Then he gave the constable some low-voiced instructions, "'and the latter prepared to depart. "'We must get busy on those shoe tracks,' "'explained the inspector. "'But first of all, I must have a word with Miss Ackroyd. "'She was the last person to see her uncle alive. "'Does she know yet?' "'Raymond shook his head. "'Well, no need to tell her for another five minutes. "'She can answer my questions better "'without being upset by knowing the truth about her uncle. "'Tell her there's been a burglary, "'and ask her if she would mind dressing and coming down "'to answer a few questions. "'It was Raymond who went upstairs on this errand. "'Miss Ackroyd will be down in a minute,' he said, when he returned. 
I told her just what you suggested. In less than five minutes, Flora descended the staircase. She was wrapped in a pale pink silk kimono. She looked anxious and excited. The inspector stepped forward. Good evening, Miss Ackroyd, he said civilly. We're afraid there's been an attempted robbery, and we want you to help us. What's this room, the billiard room? Come in here and sit down. Flora sat down composedly on the wide divan which ran the length of the wall and looked up at the inspector. "'I don't quite understand. What has been stolen? What do you want me to tell you?' "'It's just this, Miss Ackroyd. Parker here says you came out of your uncle's study at about a quarter to ten. Is that right?' "'Quite right. I'd been to say good night to him.' "'And the time is correct?' "'Well, it must have been about then.' "'I can't say exactly. It might have been later. "'Was your uncle alone, or was there anyone with him?' "'He was alone. Dr. Shepard had gone. "'Did you happen to notice whether the window was open or shut?' "'Flora shook her head. "'I can't say. The curtains were drawn.' "'Exactly. And your uncle seemed quite as usual.' "'I think so. "'Do you mind telling us exactly what passed between you?' Flora paused a minute, as though to collect her recollections. "'I went in and said, "'Good night, Uncle. I'm going to bed now. I'm tired tonight.' He gave a sort of grunt, and I went over and kissed him, and he said something about my looking nice in the frock I had on, and then he told me to run away as he was busy. So I went. "'Did he ask specifically not to be disturbed?' "'Oh, yes, I forgot,' he said. "'Tell Parker I don't want anything more tonight.' "'and that he's not to disturb me. "'I met Parker just outside the door "'and gave him Uncle's message.' "'Just so,' said the inspector. "'Won't you tell me what it is that's been stolen?' "'We're not quite certain,' said the inspector, hesitatingly. "'A wide look of alarm came into the girl's eyes. "'She started up. "'What is it? "'You're hiding something from me.' "'Moving in his usual unobtrusive manner,' Hector Blunt came between her and the inspector. She half stretched out her hand, and he took it in both of his, patting it as though she were a very small child, and she turned to him as though something in his stolid, rock-like demeanor promised comfort and safety. "'It's bad news, Flora,' he said quietly. "'Bad news for all of us. Your Uncle Roger—' "'Yes?' "'It will be a shock to you. Bound to be. Poor Roger's dead.' Flora drew away from him, her eyes dilating with horror. "'When?' she whispered. "'When?' "'Very soon after you left him, I'm afraid,' said Blunt gravely. Flora raised her hand to her throat, gave a little cry, and I hurried in to catch her as she fell. She had fainted, and Blunt and I carried her upstairs and laid her on her bed. Then I got him to wake Mrs. Ackroyd and tell her the news. Flora soon revived, and I brought her mother to her, "'telling her what to do for the girl. "'Then I hurried downstairs again. "'We'll return with Chapter 6 "'right after these sponsor messages. "'And now Chapter 6 "'of The Murder of Roger Ackroyd "'by Agatha Christie "'The Tunisian Dagger.'
"'I met the inspector just coming in from the door "'which led into the kitchen quarters. "'How's the young lady, doctor?' he said. "'Coming round nicely. Her mother's with her.' "'That's good. I've been questioning the servants. "'They all declare that no one has been to the back door tonight. "'Your description of that stranger was rather vague. "'Can't you give us something more definite to go upon?' "'I'm afraid not,' I said regretfully. "'It was a dark night, you see, "'and the fellow had his coat collar well pulled up "'and his hat squashed down over his eyes.' "'Hm,' said the inspector. "'Looked as though he wanted to conceal his face.' "'You sure it was no one you know?' "'I replied in the negative, "'but not as decidedly as I might have done. "'I remembered my impression "'that the stranger's voice "'was not unfamiliar to me. "'I explained this rather haltingly "'to the inspector. "'It was a rough, uneducated voice, you say?' "'I agreed, "'but it occurred to me "'that the roughness had been "'of an almost exaggerated quality. "'If, as the inspector thought, "'the man had wished to hide his face,' "'he might equally well have tried to disguise his voice. "'Do you mind coming into the study with me again, doctor? "'There are one or two things I want to ask you.' "'I acquiesced. "'Inspector Davis unlocked the door of the lobby. "'We passed through, and he locked the door again behind him. "'We don't want to be disturbed,' he said grimly, "'and we don't want any eavesdropping either. "'Now what's all this about blackmail?' "'Blackmail!' I exclaimed. "'very much startled. "'Is it an effort of Parker's imagination, "'or is there something in it? "'If Parker heard anything about blackmail,' "'I said slowly, "'he must have been listening outside this door "'with his ear glued against the keyhole.' "'Davis nodded. "'Nothing more likely. "'You see, I've been instituting a few inquiries "'as to what Parker has been doing with himself this evening. "'To tell the truth, I didn't like his manner. "'The man knows something.' "'When I began to question him, he got the wind up "'and plumped out some garbled story of blackmail. "'I took an instant decision. "'I'm rather glad you brought the matter up,' I said. "'I've been trying to decide whether to make a clean breast of things or not. "'I'd already practically decided to tell you everything, "'but I was going to wait for a favorable opportunity. "'You might as well have it now.' "'And then and there I narrated the whole events of the evening "'as I have set them down here.' "'The inspector listened keenly, occasionally interjecting a question. "'Most extraordinary story I ever heard,' he said, when I had finished. "'And you say that letter has completely disappeared. "'It looks bad. It looks very bad indeed. "'It gives us what we've been looking for, a motive for the murder.' "'I nodded. I realize that. "'You say that Mr. Ackroyd hinted at a suspicion he had "'that some member of his household was involved?' "'Household's rather an elastic term. "'You don't think that Parker himself "'might be the man we're after?' "'I suggested. "'It looks very like it, Doctor. "'He was obviously listening at the door "'when you came out. "'Then Miss Ackroyd came across him later, "'bent on entering the study. "'Say he tried again when he was safely out of the way. "'He stabbed Ackroyd, "'locked the door on the inside, "'opened the window, and got out that way, "'and went round to a side door "'which he had previously left open. "'How's that?' "'Well, there's only one thing against it,' I said slowly. "'If Ackroyd went on reading that letter as soon as I left, as he intended to do, "'I don't see him continuing to sit on here and turn things over in his mind for another hour. "'He'd have had Parker in at once, accused him then and there, "'and there would have been a fine old uproar. "'Remember, 
Ackroyd was a man of choleric temper. "'Mightn't have had time to go on with the letter just then,' suggested the inspector. "'We know someone was with him at half-past nine. "'If that visitor turned up as soon as you left, and after he went, "'Miss Ackroyd came in to say good-night. "'Well, he wouldn't be able to go on with the letter until close upon ten o'clock. "'And the telephone call? "'Parker sent that all right, perhaps before he thought of the locked door and the open window. "'Then he changed his mind, or got in a panic.' "'and decided to deny all knowledge of it. "'That was it. Depend upon it.' "'Yes,' I said rather doubtfully. "'Anyway, we could find out the truth about the telephone call from the exchange. "'If it was put through from here, "'I don't see how anyone else but Parker could have sent it. "'Depend upon it. He's our man. "'But keep it dark. We don't want to alarm him just yet, "'till we've got all the evidence. "'I'll see to it he doesn't give us the slip.' "'to all appearances will be concentrated on your mysterious stranger.' "'He rose from where he had been sitting astride the chair belonging to the desk "'and crossed over to the still form in the armchair. "'The weapon ought to give us a clue,' he remarked, looking up. "'It's something quite unique, a curio, I should think, by the look of it.' "'He bent down, surveying the handle attentively, "'and I heard him give a grunt of satisfaction. "'Then, very gingerly, he pressed his hands down below the hilt, "'and drew the blade out from the wound. "'Still carrying it so as not to touch the handle, "'he placed it in a wide china mug "'which adorned the mantelpiece. "'Yes,' he said, nodding at it. "'Quite a work of art. "'There can't be many of them about. "'It was indeed a beautiful object, "'a narrow tapering blade, "'and a hilt of elaborately intertwined metals "'of curious and careful workmanship. "'He touched the blade gingerly with his finger, "'testing its sharpness, "'and made an appreciative grimace. "'Lord, what an edge!' he exclaimed. "'A child could drive that into a man, "'as easy as cutting butter. "'A dangerous sort of toy to have about.' "'May I examine the body properly now?' I asked. "'He nodded. "'Go ahead.' "'I made a thorough examination. "'Well,' said the inspector, when I had finished, "'I'll spare you the technical language,' I said. "'We'll keep that for the inquest. "'The blow was delivered by a right-handed man "'standing behind him, "'and the death must have been instantaneous. "'By the expression on the dead man's face, "'I should say that the blow was quite unexpected. "'He probably died without knowing "'who his assailant was. "'Well, butlers can creep about "'as soft-footed as cats,' "'said Inspector Davis. "'There's not going to be much mystery "'about this crime. "'Take a look at the hilt of that dagger.' "'I took the look. "'I dare say they're not apparent to you, "'but I can see them clearly enough.' "'He lowered his voice. "'Fingerprints.' "'He stood off a few steps to judge of his effect. "'Yes,' I said mildly. "'I guess that. "'I do not see why I should be supposed "'to be totally devoid of intelligence. "'After all, I read detective stories "'and the newspapers, "'and I'm a man of quite average ability. "'If there had been toe marks on the dagger handle,' "'Now that would have been quite a different thing. "'I would then have registered any amount of surprise and awe. "'I think the inspector was annoyed with me for declining to get thrilled. "'He picked up the china mug and invited me to accompany him to the billiard room. "'I want to see if Mr. Raymond can tell us anything about this dagger,' he explained. "'Locking the outer door behind us again, "'we made our way to the billiard room, where we found Jeffrey Raymond. "'The inspector held up his exhibit.' "'Ever seen this before, Mr. Raymond?' 
"'Why, I believe, I'm almost sure, "'that it's a curio given to Mr. Ackroyd by Major Blunt. "'It comes from Morocco. "'No, no, Tunis. "'So the crime was committed with that? "'What an extraordinary thing! "'It seems almost impossible, "'and yet there could hardly be two daggers the same. "'May I fetch Major Blunt?' "'Without waiting for an answer, he hurried off. "'Nice young fellow, that,' said the inspector. "'Something honest and ingenious about him.' "'I agreed. "'In the two years that Geoffrey Raymond had been secretary to Ackroyd, "'I've never seen him ruffled or out of temper. "'And he has been, I know, a most efficient secretary.' "'In a minute or two, Raymond returned, accompanied by Blunt. "'I was right,' said Raymond, excitedly. "'It is the Tunisian dagger.' "'Major Blunt hasn't looked at it yet,' objected the inspector. "'He saw it the moment I came into the study,' said the quiet man. "'You recognized it yet?' Blunt nodded. "'You said nothing about it,' said the inspector suspiciously. "'Wrong moment,' said Blunt. "'Lots of harm done by blurting out things at the wrong time.' He returned the inspector's stare placidly enough. The latter grunted at last and turned away. He brought the dagger over to Blunt. "'You're quite sure about it, sir. You identify positively?' "'Absolutely. No doubt whatever.' "'Where was this, uh, curio, usually kept? Can you tell me that, sir?' It was the secretary who answered. "'In the silver table in the drawing-room.' "'What?' I exclaimed. The others looked the others looked at me. Yes, doctor? said the inspector encouragingly. Oh, it's nothing. It's so trivial. Yes, doctor? said the inspector again, still more encouragingly. It's so trivial, I explained apologetically. Only that when I arrived last night for dinner, I heard the lid of the silver table being shut down in the drawing room. I saw profound skepticism and a trace of suspicion on the inspector's countenance. How did you know it was the silver table lid? I was forced to explain in detail a long, tedious explanation which I would infinitely rather not have had to make. The inspector heard me to the end. Was the dagger in its place when you were looking over the contents? He asked. I don't know, I said. I can't see I remember noticing it. "'but, of course, it may have been there all the time.' "'We'd better get hold of the housekeeper,' remarked the inspector, and pulled the bell. A few minutes later, Miss Russell, summoned by Parker, entered the room. "'I don't think I went near the silver table,' she said, when the inspector had posed his question. "'I was looking to see that all the flowers were fresh. "'Oh, yes, I remember now. The silver table was open.' "'which it had no business to be, "'and I shut the lid down as I passed. "'She looked at him aggressively. "'I see,' said the inspector. "'Can you tell me if this dagger was in its place, then?' "'Miss Russell looked at the weapon composedly. "'I can't say I'm sure,' she replied. "'I didn't stop to look. "'I knew the family would be down any minute, "'and I wanted to get away.' "'Thank you,' said the inspector.' There was just a trace of hesitation in his manner, as though he would have liked to question her further, but Miss Russell clearly accepted the words as a dismissal, and glided from the room. "'Rather a tartar, I should fancy, eh?' 
said the inspector, looking after her. "'Let me see. This silver table is in front of one of the windows. I think you said, doctor?' Raymond answered for me. "'Yes, the left-hand window. And the window was open?' "'They were both ajar.' "'Well, I don't think we need to go into the question much further. "'Somebody, I'll just say somebody, "'could get that dagger any time he liked, "'and exactly when he got it doesn't matter in the least. "'I'll be coming up in the morning with the chief constable, Mr. Raymond. "'Until then, I'll keep the key of that door. "'I want Colonel Melrose to see everything exactly as it is. "'I happen to know that he's dining out on the other side of the county, "'and I believe staying the night.' We watched the inspector take up the jar. "'I shall have to pack this carefully,' he observed. "'It's going to be an important piece of evidence in more ways than one.' A few minutes later, as I came out of the billiard room with Raymond, the latter gave a low chuckle of amusement. I felt the pressure of his hand on my arm and followed the direction of his eyes. Inspector Davis seemed to be inviting Parker's opinion of a small pocket diary. "'A little obvious,' murmured my companion." "'So Parker is a suspect, is he? "'Shall we oblige Inspector Davis with a set of fingerprints also?' "'He took two cards from the card tray, "'wiped them with his silk handkerchief, "'then handed one to me and took the other himself. "'Then with a grin, he handed them to the police inspector. "'Souvenirs,' he said. "'Number one, Dr. Shepard. "'Number two, my humble self. "'One from Major Blunt will be forthcoming in the morning.' "'Youth is very buoyant. "'Even the brutal murder of his friend and employer "'could not dim Geoffrey Raymond's spirits for long. "'Perhaps that is as it should be. "'I do not know. "'I have lost a quality of resilience long since myself.' "'It was very late when I got back, "'and I hoped that Caroline would have gone to bed. "'I might have known better. "'She had hot cocoa waiting for me, "'and whilst I drank it, "'she extracted the whole history of the evening from me.' I said nothing of the blackmailing business, but contented myself with giving her the facts of the murder. "'The police suspect Parker,' I said, as I rose to my feet and prepared to ascend to bed. "'There seems a fairly clear case against him.' "'Parker?' said my sister. "'Fiddlesticks! That inspector must be a perfect fool! Parker, indeed! Don't tell me!' With which obscure pronouncement we went up to bed." Thanks for joining us for Chapters 5 and 6 from The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back next Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, please do enjoy our other shows, especially our brand new 1001 Best of Jack London and our new radio detective show, 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Both of those shows are new and doing extremely well. We'll return next Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.